the foghorn means it is time for the Cavish Ships podcast, where we try and cut through the fog in the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, there is nothing like getting out to sea and getting underway with the Navy. For journalists, it means talking up close with sailors and gaining a better understanding of what the Navy does and how they do it. But there are also challenges like how to get real insight when the experience might last only just a few hours. We're joined by two journalists from USNI News, editor Sam Legrone and reporter Mallory Shelbourne for some insight into getting haze gray and underway. But first, a look at this week's Naval News. The ballistic missile submarine USS West Virginia made a rare publicized appearance on October 19th when the submarine surfaced in the Arabian Sea for a visit by two of the highest ranking U.S. Central Command officers. General Eric Carrilla, commander of CENTCOM, came aboard accompanied by U.S. Fifth Fleet Commander Vice Admiral Brad Cooper. Boomer submarines like the West Virginia are always on deterrent patrol, but rarely make their presence public. And when they do, it's almost always with a strategic messaging intent that the submarine is in the Arabian Sea, not far from Iran, rather than the more usual operating areas in the Atlantic, Pacific, or Arctic areas, is notable. All U.S. Navy and Marine Corps T-45 Charlie Goshawks jet training aircraft were grounded in early October after an engine blade fault was discovered, reports USNI News. The fault could cause blade failure in the aircraft's Rolls-Royce turbofan engines. The aircraft are the primary carrier-capable jet trainers used by the Navy and Marine Corps. The Navy hospital ship Comfort left Norfolk Naval Base October 18th to begin a continuing promise goodwill deployment to Central America and the Caribbean. The ship is scheduled to visit the Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Haiti, and Honduras. With lawlessness in Haiti a growing concern, the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Northland has been patrolling off the capital of Port-au-Prince since October 11th at the request of the Haitian government. Other U.S. Coast Guard cutters are also in the area, many dealing with a major rise in migrant interdiction. According to the Coast Guard, the service in fiscal 2022 interdicted more than 7,200 Haitian migrants at sea trying to illegally enter the United States. At Mayport, Florida, the Littoral Combat Ship Billings returned home October 7th from a U.S. Southern Command U.S. Fourth Fleet deployment, followed by sister ship Milwaukee beginning her second Fourth Fleet deployment of the year on October 18th. In the Pacific, the Littoral Combat Ship Jackson returned to San Diego October 15th after a 15-month deployment to the Western Pacific. The crews ranged throughout the South China Sea and reached as far as Indonesia and featured the first operational deployment of the MQ-8 Charlie Fire Scout unmanned helicopter, a larger model than the MQ-8 Bravos that have been deployed on previous cruises. Chinese ships and aircraft, as usual, shadowed the LCS while operating in the South China Sea, but the ship's commander told reporters the interactions with the Chinese were, quote, professional. The Jackson was supported by Navy maintenance execution teams who met the ship in various ports, including Singapore, Guam, Tahiti, and Fiji. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval News. All right. Well, turning to our main topic today, we want to talk about media coverage of the U.S. Navy from ships at sea. 
and joining us today are two people who have got uh, pretty darn good experience with it, both from USNI News. We've got Sam Legrone and Mallory Shelbourne. Sam and Mallory, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Right. Thank you for having us. Well, I tell you, uh, this is a great topic. Uh, a lot of people talk about it. Not that many people do it. Um, there's a sort of uh, impression, you know, from the word embedded uh, that, you know, people can go out and just kind of stick with military uh, units and stay there. And that's that's how they report. It doesn't really work that way with the Navy. Um, you know, it works. It, it sort of worked with ground uh, ground formations. It really, I, I think it really came back, goes back to the uh, Desert Storm Gulf War of 1990-91 when the journalists really, really uh, argued and successfully argued to be embedded, stuck with, um, put with uh, specific units and they would stay there through, through the campaign. It doesn't work that well with the Navy. Number one, you're talking about ships. There's only a finite num uh, amount of space on a ship. Everybody who sleeps on a ship has got to have a bunk, a rack, as in the, in the terminology. It has an impact, especially if it's not an aircraft carrier. Uh, you've got, you got ships with only 350, less than that, people on it. Every rider, every, which is a visitor on the ship, uh, has has a certain impact. Um, Chris, you, you talk to us a little bit from the Navy point of view. I mean, you as a you know Navy public affairs officer uh, facilitated an awful lot of these things, and, and you've you've seen probably more different media uh, folks than than than, uh, than than we have. From the Navy's point of view, what is the Navy looking to get out of these things? The embark is the best way to show off life at sea, and whether that life is just you know how sailors are interacting and how they're doing their individual jobs, or if it's in the case of like when you guys were out on the um, Ford a few weeks ago, um, you know, taking media out and letting them see a new platform and how that platform is, is being introduced to the sea. But, you know, as a, as a public affairs officer, I, I can talk to media, you know, till I'm blue in the face about, um, you know, what the, the value of the platform is or what, what's right, what's wrong. But until you see it, until you climb around on it, uh, and interact directly with sailors, it, it's not really the, the most effective way of, uh, telling, uh, that part of the Navy story. Um, now, I mean, it, it's one data point, right? So, I mean, you, you know, you go out to a ship, you get X amount of hours, X amount of days, and, you know, the, a savvy media member will put that into the, the big picture or, or their big experience and, and write, um, you know, about that data point as it fits into the larger story. But, you know, in the short term, as I said, it's a great way to tell the Navy story firsthand and get people that aren't used to operating uh, a little bit of operational underway time. Now, of course, you know, I mean, the pandemic, which affected everything, certainly affected the opportunities for media to embark on ships from all points of view. Uh, they really only just started uh, started this up again beyond only a, a handful of, of points. Mallory, you were out at RIMPAC this year in, uh, in Hawaii, which is the largest naval exercise, happens every two years. Um, you were out for that. You got to you got to get out to some ships, but you didn't spend much time on them. Um, and that was really kind of the construct of how how um, the U.S. Navy ran that. What did you get out of out of visiting these ships? How many did you visit? Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about that experience? 
Yeah. So I, I went out for a few days and, and you're right. It wasn't a ton of time. I think my embarks were about three hours, which, um, you know, I'll never turn down a chance to get out to sea, but I do think, um, now that I've done this more than a handful of times, the, the more amount of time you can get on a ship, the better, if you can get an overnight or I mean, even a few days, that's ideal, obviously. Um, at RIMPAC, I did get on an Australian ship, um, which was the first time I got on a partner nation ship. And that was, that was really great. Um, again, it was only three hours, but I, I did get to see some of the differences. I saw their hospital. Um, I got to eat with the Australian sailors. So I got to see the galley. Um, you know, it was, like I said, I wish it was longer, but it was still great to get on a, you know, a non-U.S. Uh, Navy ship. Um, and I also got on the Abraham Lincoln, um, during that, uh, during that exercise. And I got to see flight operations, um, with the F-35 and, um, they had the Ospreys on there as well. Again, it was only three hours. It was a very, a very quick embark, but, um, you know, seeing flight operations was, is, is always great. Um, so I, go ahead, Chris. You and I were just out on the, uh, Gerald R. Ford. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was an, it was an overnight. I, I think that's the first time on that ship, uh, Navy's been trying to do overnights. Um, mm -hmm. It's still, you know, it's it's, it's barely twenty four hours. Uh, I think in our case, we we were on board for maybe twenty seven. Oh my gosh! Uh, but 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 it is a different thing when you can hang on a ship longer. Um, you, people stand down a bit. It's more relaxed. Uh, you're you're eating together. You're not just going around in a, in a tour group going, look at this, look at that, look at that, look at this. Mm -hmm. And you can really talk about. It. Uh, was that did that do more for you? How can you can you can you compare and contrast that even even that one day one overnight compared to three hours on the Lincoln. Definitely. I mean, we got, you know, we got to do the midnight rations, which was something I'd never done before. And you get to see how, you know, there's sailors eating breakfast at midnight. And, you know, that's something that I had never experienced before. And I, I guess I assumed that, you know, those who are working at night are eating their breakfast that time, but I had never actually seen it or experienced it. Um, and Chris, it was great that you and I got to go and have, you know, go and eat in the galley and, um, or, you know, um, see, see what that was all about. And I think also, you know, we had a little downtime, which, which gave us room as reporters to ask for the things we wanted. Whereas, you know, when you go out there for three hours, you, you usually have a schedule and it's boom, 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 boom. And then you're getting off the ship. Whereas, you know, with more time, there's just more flexibility to, you know, change the schedule, maybe say, I don't need to see this, but I'd like to see this. And I, I think that flexibility is really important when you're, when you're out there reporting. Now, Sam, you've been doing this a, a pretty long time. You've been on a number of embarks. Um, talk about some of the issues when you, when you go on a ship. You, know, you and I were the first uh, two people, along with a photographer, to actually get out on the Ford underway. Um, the ship had been running for over a year, and no media was on board at all while the ship was underway until they flew, out, flew us out on a helicopter at one point. I think it was in, what, fall of 2019. Um, and that, that was a brief visit where we got to see something, but talk about some of the challenges of when you, when you come on a ship, you have limited time. Um, there are some things you definitely want to see, uh, but there's other stuff you really want to notice that maybe you weren't expecting. Talk about how that works when you're on board. Sure. I, I think a lot of it, um, depends on the command and the engagement and, uh, what they're trying to show off and what they're trying to highlight, um, so on, on the one extreme, 
uh, I think I've been on a lot. Uh, I think and the Ford one was a, was was like this too. The one where we wrote it into the pier was that you know there's these set pieces that they walk you through and you run through and then they have the big placard there that says this is the system that you're looking at this is emails emails the electromagnetic launch system and then on and on and on and, it, and it's really formal um and on the other end of that is where you have the opportunity to be on a ship for three four days and you just kind of hang out and you catch a vibe um and that is also a mixed bag in and of itself because you know you're you're uh, an extra human being on um I think I did I think I did four or five days on the wasp uh for bold alligator 11 I think yeah. and it was great uh because you got to hang out with the sailors you cruised around you had your uh, your your navy cash card you went to the ship store um but then after a while there really wasn't a whole lot to do and um you just kind of got around and you, you started talking to sailors and you kind of had to make your own sort of stories out there. So it's, it's always a mixed bag. And I always think about it now uh, moving into sort of the, the, the editing role of this is it's, it's always useful to go to sea, but then you have to balance that out with the push pull of your production schedule, because um, we believe in that at USNI news is sending people out. Um, I, I think between uh, me and Mallory and and uh, Heather and then our freelancers, I think we've had a dozen underways this year or something like that. And and wow. we think that's essential. We think that's essential to the job because it's one thing to talk about the email system, not to not to pick on the Ford. It's one thing to talk about the email system uh, as opposed to the steam catapult system. It's another thing to walk there and see that, oh, there's only two watch standers here as opposed to the dozen or so on the steam catapult. It really tells you a lot about how the ship operates and then and, and how big a deal it is to reduce that that number of people to have a, a system like that operate. So, you know, every time you go to see it's a mixed bag, sometimes it's great um, um, where you get a lot of information and you have a command that's really interested in sort of, you know, having the, sh the, not just telling you, but having the sailor show you what's going on. And that's a big part of it too. You know, I, I and, and sometimes um, I, I think, you know, especially more junior public affairs folks uh, sometimes don't understand that the power of the Navy's, you know, sort of public affairs apparatus or, or the Navy story, as they like to say, is actually seeing sailors do stuff. I mean, that, that'll be 90% of, of what you need to, to, um, see to make an argument for this works or this doesn't just by seeing what the sailors do as opposed to uh you know adverb filled press releases the you know jargon 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 you know just just show us let us see stuff i, I mean I've, i i agree with you about you know staying a few days um some of my best embarks really have just you know there wasn't an agenda other than i want to go out on this kind of ship and hang for a while um it takes a while to to really start to start relationships with, with the crew people don't i mean you know your 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 media your visitor um, you don't really belong there they belong there you don't you're definitely in somebody else's house um i think it 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 it, it takes about three days for people to size you up i mean everybody on the ship knows that that, that you're you're the reporters reporter on board watch out for them um but it takes about three days and i'm for them to decide if you're you know a complete jerk or you're not that bad 
and uh, can we can we talk to you are you stupid are you an idiot or what and um uh it's hard it's hard to hard to compress that below three days i i i miss i i used to used to smoke i i quit smoking 15 years ago but one of the best places to just meet people and hang out and pick up stuff and and talk was uh this the uh, smoking deck because it was it was terribly egalitarian everybody went out there and you know you got people from all over the ship and all departments and uh it was just uh it was it was a great interaction device um i don't, I don't know how you how you get around that um chris you know you you've accompanied people you've you you you've facilitated these things um give us a couple anecdotes of a couple that went really well but before you do that tell me a couple that went really south like this was this was kind of a pain so i'll tell you the first i i wasn't yet a public affairs officer i was on board uss harry s truman um during the early days of oif so when uh we were bombing iraq and we had a reporter from the Virginian pilot, our, our hometown paper at the time, a guy named Matt Dolan. And I'm not sure where Matt is. He, he's not with the Virginian pilot anymore. But um, Matt was on board for two weeks, which seemed like a long time to the crew. One, we were trying to figure out what our tempo was in, you know, essentially doing 24 hour ops. And then we had this reporter on board who the captain thought was important to just he didn't want him to have a uh, an escort other than for safety reasons. He wanted him to be able to walk around the ship. The same thing with the admiral who was Boomer Stufflebeam at, at the time and who was very pro media. Well, Matt wandered up on board, uh, up on the bridge and was hanging out with the QMs, the quartermasters, who had put a sticky note um, on the chart uh, near whatever the line was for this. This was actually we, we had not started yet bombing. We, we were getting into position, but there had been a line essentially that was the tax free line. And the QM three, you know, 22 year old kid had written like payday or something. And, and essentially it was if you got above that line, you were in the tax free area and everybody on on board the ship um, got got tax free for that month. Um, and Matt made a very big deal about how the ship was just sort of crossing that line just to be able to get the money. Um, he didn't really tell the whole story and he didn't work with the the crew and the PAO to get the the whole story. It, it caused a bunch of commotion with uh, with higher headquarters. And I remember thinking to myself as somebody that wanted to be a PAO at the time, like, wow, that's how that, you, you know, talk about um, how a story could go off the rails if if you don't keep an eye on uh, on the reporter. Conversely, I, I've had many occasions where I've taken reporters out to aircraft carriers or I've taken them to Africa with me for Africa Partnership Station. And it was much more like an embed from the sense of what, what we saw during OEF, OIF, where the reporter stayed for three to five days. Um, became part of the group and really got a firsthand uh, experience. Probably my favorite story to tell, and th this was for one of those, it was only for three to four hours, but I took Phil Ewing um, out on board Cape St. George. And Phil um, Ewing is who we, we all used to work with at uh, Navy Times. Yep. And Phil at the time was the guy that was really giving the surface force a real hard time from our perspective about readiness and particularly about readiness of the Aegis combat system. Um, there were all these different upgrades going on at the time and he was really 
picking at the fact he was getting firsthand stories from sailors about how um, gooned up the um, the latest version of Aegis was. And so we took him out on board Cape St. George. We wanted him to see how the system worked, how it was turned on when they were underway. And we were underway for about an hour and the ship went dead in the water. It had an engine issue. Um, and so we're just floating around and the captain and the Commodore who was on board at the time were very nervous that that was going to be the story. And, you know, this guy that had given all the all this ink to how gooned up the surface force was is now on a ship that's just bobbling around in the Pacific Ocean. Um, and, you know, Phil never wrote about that. I mean, that's not what he was there for. Um, he understood that shit happens. Excuse my, I mean, you know, that that's actually what he said to me. Hey, shit happens, man. I mean, you, you know, this isn't really part of my story. I'm here to write about the Aegis combat system and how sailors deal with it. And um, it was just a very sort of human understanding moment with the reporter. And for me, I always felt like the, the less intrusive you were as a public affairs officer and the more accommodating you were in terms of helping the reporter get around and get to the stories that he or she needed to see, whether they were on board for three hours or three days, um, the better the outcome was going to be, whether that was the story or just the long-term understanding uh, of the Navy from that reporter's standpoint. You know, one of the things that's always bothered me is, uh, you know, so I'm a Washington-based journalist. Uh, we write about all kinds of acquisition issues, stuff on the Hill, uh, on Capitol Hill. The, obviously, Naval Sea Systems Command talks about everything, Naval Air, um, the Pentagon people. Um, and a lot of people get this inside the Beltway mentality, and it, all these issues sort of spin up on their own. What are you hearing on the Hill? What are the, what are the staffers saying? What are, all this stuff. Very few people really get out there, make the effort to go out. And I've always found the Navy, actually, I've always found the Navy to be outstandingly cooperative in the sense that if you want to go see stuff, we'll make it happen. Um, especially if, you know, you just put yourself somewhere, they will make it happen. I've just had so many great experiences that way. But uh, I do have a, I mean, I, I one, one thing that always bothers me are people who are perennial critics of any of a particular program who've never really made the effort to go see for themselves. It still may, it still may be, um, you know, not the, not, not the world's happiest story, but, you know, for example, people who have people who love to harp all over littoral combat ships, the LCS, have you even seen an LCS? Have you, have you visited one in port? Have you walked on one? Have you been underway on one? Uh, I mean, I've, I've been out, I've been out to sea four times on LCSs and so it's almost not enough, but, but there's just so many people who just act like they know all about it. It's all, it's a, it's a total piece of crap that ever did. Nothing ever works on it. It's really stupid. Have you ever even, ever even seen one it, it bothers me like that? So there is, there's always something about getting out there and seeing it. Mallory, you just went on, on one of the most controversial ships in the Navy, the, the world's most expensive ship ever the Gerald R. Ford, and everybody's worried about technology on it and stuff. Um, do you have any, what does it do for you at least to get out there and just talk to some of the people who operate this stuff? Do you feel any better about it? As I mean, I mean, how does that, how does that come off to you? I do feel better about it. I mean, you can read all the DOT and E reports you want about how these systems work, but you know, it's not really seeing it in, there's nothing like seeing it in person and you know when we were talking when chris you and i were on the floor we were talking to um you know the the maintenance officer for the arresting gear and for and for emails and 
you know, one of the things that really stuck with me was, um, someone asked him, you know, well, what's the, what's the big difference between this system and the old system and why don't you use steam anymore? And, and he talked about how, you know, this is a lot, it's not as hard on the sailors and, you know, that's, you know, hearing about that and, you know, how it affects the day-to-day lives of the people on the ship, I think is really important. And I think, you know, when you're reading these reports about how these systems work and, you know, it's, it's important to understand how they work or don't work, the reliability of the systems and the development, that's all very important. But I think, you know, understanding how it affects the day-to-day of the sailors on the ship is also really important. And just to add on your piece about the literal combat ship, I went on an LCS last year and, you know, I got one of the better stories I think I've written in the last few years by going out on that ship because I heard from the task force commander who was, you know, leading this effort to, you know, sort of revamp the LCS out there um, about how, you know, they were proposed, the Navy was sort of putting the LCS out there as a potential for um, expeditionary advanced base operations for the Marine Corps. And, you know, that's a controversial thing within the Marine Corps and the Navy, but Um, you know, I'm still hearing that a year and almost a year and a half later from folks in the Navy, that this is something they're talking about. So, you know, and I would never have gotten that story if I hadn't gone out on the LCS. So I have a quick one for you guys, um, sort of flipping it. How long does it take you, um, when you're on board a ship to know whether or not that ship has its act together? Um, you guys collectively have visited dozens and dozens of ships, that's something you can tell pretty quickly as a journalist, can't you? I'll start with Sam and then um, you, you go to Mallory and then Chris. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it's a and, and, and that's like that's not just a, a Navy skill. I mean, that's just a reporter being around people skill. Um, you can catch a vibe pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, here's a here's a really good example. So uh, I got to ride. Truman after it finished up its uh crazy long deployment in 21 and uh I was really expecting to see a really tired ship and they pushed hard um to 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 get reporters out on the way back they had um they had set up a a, a pretty good uh set of uh just things to take a look at and stuff like that but I, I was expecting a crew because gosh, uh, I don't have the number on top of my head, but it was it was seven, eight, nine month deployment. Uh, you know, COVID rolled into a bunch of other stuff. Uh, you know, around a kind of Iran presence, and um, I thought this crew was going to be like, you know, it was just going to be a mess. They were the most locked on kids. They were tired as hell, but they were locked on. They knew exactly what was up. They brought us in. Uh, the the Chang told us how they fixed like um you know a rudder at sea that would have ordinarily been like a depot maintenance thing because some like smart kid from tennessee figured out a way to you know jury rig some kind of like brace so they can go and get it done and just there were all of these just fantastic stories about how uh the crew sort of figured out how to be really resilient and it and it and I think the the PAOs that we were with realized that the folks that they had in the leadership positions were were something special to be able to hold that crew together. But yeah, you could tell pretty quickly, you know, within the first, honestly, 15, 20 minutes we were there, you know, you, you do the whole thing, the carrier thing, you, you come on board, you walk into the O level, you meet the skipper, you meet the CSG commander, you have above, you know, you have a cookie and a, and a glass of juice and then they, 
You know, there's like, hey, guess what? Now we're going to go to the navigation bridge or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And and it's all, uh, you know, it's all pretty scripted. But, you know, in the margins, you can tell. You can tell the sailors, are they exhausted? Are they tired? Are they mad? Are they frustrated? Are they anxious? I mean, and you can just pick it up off of body language. So, yeah, so that happens pretty fast. I think that's true. I, I do think I do think time in the schedule can can impact your ability to understand that. You know, if you have a jam-packed schedule with, you know, interviewing the CO and strike group commander on a carrier, you know, and you're on, not, you're only on there for two, three hours, it's going to be harder to catch a vibe if you're not able to spend time with the sailors. But, you know, when we were on the Ford, we did spend time with some sailors and the vibe that I got, at least, Chris, I'm not sure if you agree, but they, everyone was really excited. You know, it's the first, it's the, yep. it's a new ship. It's, it's a, you know, the most expensive, it's a really shiny new thing. And, and they were excited to get out there and do something for the first time. And, and that's definitely the vibe I got from being out there that, you know, the sailors understood that and they were excited to experience it. Yeah. I'll tell I'll, the, the, and, and, and they were, and that's, and that, that is the kind of thing you pick up when you're on a ship. So there's all these stories floating around about this doesn't work and that doesn't work on the fort. And, you know, they can, they can script some of that stuff that, 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 that we're exposed to, but they can't control all of it. And there was plenty of stuff that popped up, including the young officer you just talked about talking about emails. That was not planned. That was, that was an unplanned, spontaneous discussion. And, um, yeah, and you, you, you get pretty soon, pretty, pretty quickly. What's really going on out there. And frankly, there's a lot of people who talk about this stuff all the time. who really don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I'll tell, I'll tell two quick anecdotes. One was a destroyer that I went out on uh, a few years, some years ago, uh, I was out for about four days, just normal local ops off, uh, off the Bay Capes. Um, what was weird about it was there were, um, there were only, I think there were, was it four or eight, I forget now, women in the crew. They were all officers because the ship was an older destroyer and they're not, they're not built for, um, uh, for open gender or whatever uh, crews. Um, so officers were, are always easy because you can just you can, women can share staterooms and, and that's easier. Um, but it was weird that none, I was eating at the most of my meals in the wardroom. There was never a woman officer taking her meal in the wardroom and something was going on there. You know, why not? I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't, uh, I, I actually ran into somebody about a year or two later and brought it up and they said, yep, that's a, that's, that was a real issue on that ship. Something was going on there that they just didn't feel comfortable in the wardroom with that, with that commanding officer and the, whatever atmosphere was happening in that wardroom. Um, and that's not, that's not something you're going to notice if you're just there for lunch or something. Um, to echo what Sam just said about um, Truman, uh, a few years ago, I was out in the Persian Gulf and I had asked to do a, um, a, Horm a Strait of Hormuz transit. So one of the things that bugs me about Strait of Hormuz transits is that usually the media goes out there. Here we are. And it's heightened tensions out here in the Gulf. You know, nerves are on edge. Well, how would you know that it's heightened tensions, Mr. Foreign Correspondent? Are you ever out there when it's normal? Do you know what normal is? What's what's a day to day? That's what I wanted to do. And yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at the Iranians. They're looking at us. We're looking at them. Hi, how you doing? Anyway, it's just, uh, you got to have a, have, have a benchmark there if you're going to talk about heightened tensions. Um, but that ship, they were, they were on the tail end of, a, of what was going to be a nine-month deployment. Um, they left, Bar I got on Bahrain. 
that was the beginning of their of their voyage back to um, back to Norfolk, and they'd been out for a long time. By golly, they were they were snappy as all get out. Um, they 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 really were. They were it was the same thing exactly what Sam just said. They were tired. They wanted to go home. Um, been doing this for a long time, but that ship really kept its act together. Um, they were they were very snappy. I was out there for for three days again. And um, I was really impressed. That was the USS Farragut, DDG-99. They were, they, they were really great. And that is the kind of thing that you don't, you're not going to pick that up if, you, if you're not out there and riding with them. So, well, folks, I think that's going to wrap it up for, you know, this is a topic I think is near and dear to all of our hearts. I think it's really important for the, for, for everybody, um, for, these, for these embarks to happen. It's very important for any media trying to understand the stuff. Uh, it's important for the people who listen to and read those media. It's great. It's important for the Navy to get that message out there. And, uh, you know, it, everything has a risk. There's a risk with everything. It's not always going to go as planned. But um, if anybody out in the Navy is listening to this, please keep it up. And if everybody and anybody out there in the media is thinking about maybe they should do this sometime or there, there's some editor out there who won't send their people out there because they want, want, want five instant stories, you should send your people out there. So, so again. We've been talking with Sam Legrone and Mallory Shelbourne from USNI News. Mallory and Sam, thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Chris, for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And yeah, all the editors, you know, get, get your people underway. I agree. <laughs> now hear this. Now hear this. All right. Here's former Navy Public Affairs Officer Chris Cervello with some thoughts on riding Navy ships. Thanks, Chris. As you mentioned, I hope folks from Navy leadership are listening and appreciate the lasting value and impact that embarks have on journalists and distinguished visitors. As we discussed, there is no better way to tell the Navy story than to get folks underway. That said, these embarks have to be more than just dog and pony shows. Guests need to see how exciting life at sea can be, but they also need to understand that it can be tough and exhausting as well. If all we show visitors is the recruiting poster version of Life at Sea, we aren't taking full advantage of their time underway. We need to have journalists accompany ships when they do freedom of navigation exercises, when they go through the Suez Canal, when they navigate the Straits of Malacca at night, or when they do humanitarian offloads in the Caribbean after a hurricane. It's important that journalists understand the environment our ships and sailors are operating in how much training and preparation it takes to get ready for a FONOP or a major straits transit, how nerve wracking it can be to talk on the radio during a routine challenge, or how scary it can be to do anything at night when there is no moon or visible horizon. I'm one of those folks that truly believes we have an amazing Navy because I've seen our young men and women in action. I've seen them at their best and worst, and I'm blown away each and every time I see them do something new or for the first time. I equally believe that if we want to remain a top-notch Navy, we have to go out of our way to talk about it, to show it off. And that starts with letting journalists and influencers see firsthand what it means to sail, fly, and operate as part of the world's greatest Navy. Hopefully, the COVID-era restrictions are behind us for good, and Navy leadership will go out of their way to show off America's Navy to friend and foe alike. Well, thanks, Chris. I could not agree more. Send me out. Well, folks, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. 
Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavish. We're off next week. We'll see you again in two weeks. Happy Trafalgar Day. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Yeah.